this case doesn't abolish abortion. In a way, it is the end of the beginning. It's kind of a starting line for new and fresh advocacy. Welcome to Christ and Culture, the podcast of the L. Russ Bush Center for Faith and Culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Here we'll explore how the Christian faith intersects all avenues of today's culture through conversations with leading thinkers. Welcome to the conversation. Welcome to today's episode of Christ and Culture. I'm Nathaniel Williams, the editor and content manager here at the L. Russ Bush Center for Faith and Culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today's episode of Christ and Culture is devoted almost entirely to some candid conversations about abortion and the pro-life cause. And the reason we're focusing on that in today's episode is because we could very well be on the brink of a historic Supreme Court decision. So we want to pause and reflect on this moment. As a result, in today's episode, we're going to have two conversations. First, we'll talk to Dr. Ken Keithley to get his take on the issues. After that, we'll talk with Jessica Prohl-Smith, a writer with experience advocating for life on Capitol Hill. But first, let's begin today's episode with our new segment called Together We Go. In this segment, we want to highlight students, alumni, and friends of Southeastern Seminary who work in everyday vocations, and we want to share how they're using their work to help fulfill the Great Commission. Today's guest on Together We Go is Meredith Burson. At Southeastern Seminary, I studied ethics, theology, and culture, and I'm currently pursuing a master's in theology. Having studied ethics at Southeastern, paired with the lectures and resources that the CFC supplied, I was equipped to navigate in a biblically informed way everyday situations that pop up both in my personal life and in the workplace. For example, for a couple of years, I worked in politics and having taken classes specifically on the prevalent issues that arise, I was able to, although sometimes inadequately, understand how the biblical text could be applied to those situations. Or on a more personal note, the jobs I've worked with since then are more interpersonal. And having sat in on lectures ranging from bioethics to adoption, to views on personhood, to creation care, I feel genuinely prepared to have important conversations with the people that I am in professional relationships with. Uh, That's not to say that there are not times when I feel absolutely at a loss or I recognize that I've done something or acted in a way that was not a reflection of Christ. But what I want to communicate is that having the theological training that Sebbets provided has greatly helped prepare me. And the CFC specifically has continually given me confidence in the application of scripture in my life. If you're looking for ways to pray for me, I always appreciate prayers for discernment and that my witness is never compromised. Um, There are a lot of temptations of self-aggrandizement or selfishness or just to react poorly or in anger or frustration. And finally, pray that I can truly love the people that I come in contact with every day and that I love them well. I'm Meredith Burson, and together we go. Thank you, Meredith, for sharing with us today. Before we dive into our conversations with Dr. Keithley and Jessica Prohl-Smith, a heads up, we're going to cover some similar terrain in both conversations, but we thought both of their perspectives were extremely wise, extremely helpful, so we want to offer them both to you today. 
Dr. Keithley, the topic of abortion has been back in the news with the recent Supreme Court case and the leak, uh, all the things that have been going on about the Supreme Court case related to abortion. Now, we're recording on a Monday, so things could very well have changed by the time this episode drops. But we do want to pause and reflect on this topic of abortion on the eve of what could really be one of the most consequential Supreme Court rulings of our lifetime. So, Dr. Keithley, help us understand kind of what's going on right now. What is going on with this Supreme Court case and the leak? What's the lay of the land at this moment? It definitely is one of the most consequential rulings that of our lifetime. If the verdict from the court resembles anything close to the leaked document, then this, this will bring about what amounts to a reversal of Roe v. Wade. Now, as uh, I've been saying before and I'll say it again, this does not mean that abortion will suddenly become illegal. What it will mean is, is simply that the matter is referred to the states. And once the matter is referred to the states, we are 50 states in which regions of the country have different perspectives and viewpoints. Uh, and it can be pretty safely divided into red states and blue states, but not precisely. I think that what we need to recognize is, is that, uh, that in, certain, in certain red states, it will become much more restrictive. I suspect that in certain blue states, I'm thinking of California and Massachusetts and New York City, our New York state, I doubt anything changes at all in that those states are, are going to be and remain strongly pro-choice. When we look at where the United States as a country uh, stands on abortion, we need to recognize, first off, we had one of the most open-ended viewpoints of, of abortion in the world. Most European uh, countries and other Western democracies did not have as broad a viewpoint towards uh, abortion as we do. Roe v. Wade made, made abortion legal all nine months of the pregnancy. It's, it's a very rare country that has that approach. And I think that it is interesting to note, as people will, will, will say, okay, you know, 60% of the United States is in favor of some type of abortion uh, laws. Or, or they'll say, um, and then you'll read, you know, well, 60% want some type of restrictions. Well, that's because, you know, there, there, it isn't just binary like that. What you have is about 14, 15% of the people in the United States want abortion to be outlawed in all instances. And you have about 20 to 25% of the people in the United States who want abortion to be legal in all instances. But the fact is the, the majority of Americans want to have some type of something in the middle. So I, you know, I think that as a practical matter, as a political matter, that's where it's going to end up. And that's why each and every state will have um, I think over the next couple of years, some very vigorous conversations. And I think that uh, uh, this matter is not finished with the court's ruling. It's just simply changed dramatically. In other words, yeah, as you said, if the ruling holds, then abortion's not gone forever. It just the battleground shifts. It's not gone shifts. at all. It's not gone at all. Yeah. Because the battleground shifts to the states and really in some sense we can maybe say shifts to the hearts and minds of voters. I mean, Which is where it ought to be. Right. It, which, is, which is where it should have been all along. And I would just want to point out that in, in terms of access to abortion, even there, 
that may not change all that much. Uh, for example, deeply red states, I'm thinking of uh, states like Missouri, they only have one abortion clinic right now in the entire state. And so it's already restrictive very much uh, in red states. As I said, the blue states, they're not going to change. And so this will now have to be a conversation in which we as communities are going to have to make decisions, which as, as a conservative Christian who lives in the United States of America, I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. I think that's exactly where the conversation ought to be. You and I are, are discussing this matter from the assumption that life does matter, that we are pro-life. But let's assume that somebody listening to this conversation doesn't agree, okay? Let's assume there's somebody out there who is pro-choice, pro-abortion. Make the case to them. Why should they, especially as believers, be pro-life? Yeah, well, you, you, you really ask a lot there uh, in that. In <laughs> ask that. the hard-hitting questions yeah, here on well, the Christ well, Culture you Podcast. You know, when you say, okay, I'm pro-life. Right, right. You know, and, and let me just say, I'd like to describe my position as whole life, hmm in that I do affirm that life begins at conception. And then the person is birthed into this world. The criticism is often made against pro-life advocates that we care only about the fetus, but we don't care about the orphan, or we don't care about the poverty-stricken, we don't care about or the elderly. And, and I want to say that as a Christian, we do have a responsibility to care about our brothers and sisters and our, and our neighbors, uh, from no matter what uh, stage of life they're in, we are to care for them. And so uh, I hear that criticism. I don't think it's entirely fair. Right. Because what you'll notice is, is that the people who are very much involved in foster care, orphanology, uh, adoption, uh, are, and are also involved in everything from caring for the elderly and, and, and all the way up to hospice. Believers are on point and, and in almost in every one of those arenas are at the, at the vanguard and, and have a very significant presence. In fact, in many times, they are the majority presence. So I do think that it, it's not entirely fair. But to the extent that it lands, I think that we as Christians are going to have to be not just pro-life, but whole life. Um, so, so I do affirm that a human being has dignity and worth because he or she uh, reflects the image of God. And this, this goes back now to your question, you know, why would I, to a, to a fellow Christian, I would say we need to deal with every human being. We don't deal with them as potential humans. Uh, we deal them with all as humans with potential. Uh, so they, we start with the assumption, I'm dealing with an image bearer. I'm dealing with a human being. Because if you say, well, when they have to show and reflect certain abilities for me to treat them as, as humans, okay, well, then what do you do then with someone in a coma or someone in a vegetative state. If you can somehow rationalize euthanizing someone in that state, then you start saying, okay, all of the qualities that are necessary, you know, in other words, unless someone is an exemplar of all of the traits and characteristics of a human, then, then somehow they're subhuman and therefore we can eliminate them. I think that 
anyone who's a believer, and, and I am talking to perhaps a pro-choice believer, because, I mean, you're talking to someone who, who is pro-choice, who, like a Peter Singer, who would who'd say that a healthy animal is worth more than a sick baby. Well, I, I mean, that's a whole other conversation. We can do another podcast right. on that. And we actually have. There's there, we have had conversations on a previous episode about some of those things. Yeah. But when we're talking to, to, to fellow Christians about why should we be pro-life, and, and the answer is very simple. Anytime in history that we've treated other humans as less than image bearers, as less than human, it's always been a catastrophe. Whether it is the way the conquistadors treated the Native Americans, in which they considered them to not be descendants of Adam, and therefore they were justified in slaughtering them, or uh, somehow the way people thought that uh, people in Africa were less than fully human, and therefore it was okay to kidnap them, load them into to, uh, uh, to ships like they, I mean, we wouldn't even treat cattle the way that they were treated in shipping them to the Americas. Um, anytime we, you know, I could go all the way to the Holocaust, anytime and every time uh, that uh, humans are considered to be in somehow inferior, or we're able to classify them as less than human, awful things happen. And I do consider abortion to be, uh, it's a catastrophe. Mm. And I don't know of hardly anyone in the United States, even pro-choice people, who rejoice in abortion, who triumph it, who celebrate abortion. It takes a particular callousness in your soul. And, to most, and, and yeah. I, don't, I, I don't, personally don't know anybody like that. Right, right. You know, the, the people I know that, that even if they uh, will want to say we want to make uh, abortion uh, accessible, we still want to keep it legal, even then they, they, there is a lament here. There is a sorrow. And, and I just want to ask them, you know, why is that? And, and I think that we all know the reason why, is that, that it is a bad thing. And I think it's maybe even why we play with the language sometimes. Pro-abortion people will say things like terminate the fetus, which sounds more clinical yeah. than, than to speak of the great gravity of what's really happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't, even there, they don't want to say pro-abortion. Right. They'll say pro-choice. And right. right now they're even wanting to go beyond that and call it now pro-decision. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I get it. If I was going to be in that camp, I would want to be playing with the language, too, because uh, the imagery, the science, all of the things that, that goes with that whenever we see what's going on, there's a reason why it's deeply disturbing. Right, it's, right. It's a, you know, there's a reason why we don't want to, to really get out in the open about what is going on when an abortion happens. Now, you, are, you and I are two men, and I could imagine a woman listening to this saying, yes, but you don't know what I'm going through. And right. I would just be real quick and admit that. You're right. 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 You're right. I don't know all that you're, ex- you know, you're experiencing. And, and I, I've, I've been a pastor for, for a number of years, and I do know what it's like to try to, to be ministering to young ladies who, who now are they're, they're in, they're dealing with things that very difficult. I can't sympathize, but I can at least try to empathize. After all that's said and done, 
there are great resources available for young women who are find themselves facing these kind of decisions in which other women are there to help. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, Dr. Keithley, and I think from a pastoral perspective, we need to be very clear in how we uh, teach about these things and also love those who may be in the situation where they would be wanting to choose abortion and to love them well and to shepherd them and, and as, you, as you alluded to, bring other women in their lives around them who can, who can help them in, in, that, in that scenario. So they're not just left to themselves. Exactly, exactly. So, so all of the concerns and criticisms, I just want to say, I hear that and, and, I, and I receive, to the extent that I think they're fair, I, I want to receive it. So we all know we're dealing with tough, difficult things. Someone will say, well, how can the government be that intrusive into someone's private life? There are a number of places in which an individual's safety, the government will step in and do something. But I would want to take it even a step further and say, are we dealing only with a, an individual's body and, and one's privacy? I think this goes back to this bedrock conviction that there's another person that's now involved and that that which is growing in the womb is truly a human being. And therefore, we have to be mindful of that truth. Yeah, a human being created in the image of God. And, and I think, as you said, if we keep that in mind, I think that can guide all of our conversations about this, about this very challenging topic, but a very important topic. Let me pivot, and, and this will kind of wrap up our conversation about abortion and, and Roe. If and when the court strikes down Roe, mm-hmm. what do we do? As a church, as believers, what do we do? Well, I think that we continue to uphold the value of, 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 of life in many ways that we have done so. I, I think that you will see that certain significant organizations, such as the National Right to Life organization, they will now start pivoting to state levels rather than the national level. And so there will be opportunities in a political way. But let me just say, I want to encourage people to continue, Christians to continue to be involved in pregnancy crisis centers that uh, are all across the states. Uh, There are a number of them here in North Carolina. We're at, uh, I think, one of the ways that we as believers can become very much involved is in that way. Also, as I mentioned about on the whole life uh, approach, uh, we really do need to have a conversation in the church about foster care, about adoption, about uh, dealing uh, well, about uh, ministering well to those with special needs, about being there for those who are in end of life. I think there are opportunities here for us to be Jesus to those who are in very serious need. And so I am hoping that this will create an opportunity for us as, as the church to not just think of this in political terms, but think of it in the way that it ought to be thought of all along, and that is uh, how we can serve our neighbor well. Mm. Uh, very well put and an excellent way to wrap up this conversation. Thank you, Dr. Keithley, for leading this conversation today. Thank you.
Southeastern Seminary's mission is to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. Almost all of Southeastern's degrees are available fully online, so whether you're in your living room or the classroom, you can receive high-quality theological education. Get equipped wherever you are today for wherever you're called in the future by visiting sebts.edu. As we continue our conversation about abortion and pro-life issues, we're delighted to have with us Jessica Prohl-Smith. Jessica is a writer with 15 years of Washington, D.C. experience in public policy and on Capitol Hill, including advocacy for the unborn. Her work has been published in USA Today, The Christian Post, The Washington Times, The Daily Wire, and others. She lives in Cumberland, Maryland with her family. And in addition to all of this, she also recently wrote an article on our Christ and Culture blog titled, How Christians Can Prepare for the U.S. Supreme Court's Monumental Abortion Ruling. Jessica, thank you so much for joining the Christ and Culture podcast today. Thanks so much for having me, Nathaniel. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your advocacy for the unborn. Sure. I have understood myself to be pro-life since I first understood what the term meant. I was probably about fourth grader when my family drove down from New Jersey to the March for Life. And I remember feeling the urgency and the passion to advocate for little unborn babies. I couldn't imagine anyone who would hold a different point of view. Um, obviously, as the years have passed, my, my understanding has grown and my advocacy has matured. And in the last 15 years, I've had the opportunity to serve on the staff of several members of Congress, three House members and one senator. And in most of those instances, I was able specifically to be the point person, the staffer who would brief them and encourage them to advocate for the unborn, whether it was specific legislation or speeches or letters to constituents. So I've been able to apply my passion by working for members of Congress. It's also been, um, I've also applied it by serving on the board of a pregnancy center. I was in Washington, D.C. for several years and served on the board of directors there for nearly 10 years. And that was a very practical way to provide resources uh, for women and families facing a crisis or an unexpected pregnancy. So you've been in this world for a long time, and you've been involved in advocating for life for a long, long, long time. Help us understand then the, the significance of the Supreme Court case and what could happen if the leaked document is true and if this ruling holds. This is, this is kind of a big deal. Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization is a frontal attack on Roe v. Wade. Uh, if you're a pro-life advocate, you think that's a good thing. If you're not, <laughs> you know, you find that troubling. And it, it specifically challenges, the lawsuit challenges a Mississippi law that was enacted a couple short years ago, a law that limits abortions after 15 weeks, permitting them only in, in medical emergencies uh, or for severe fetal abnormality. And the lawmakers enacted this law to protect pregnant moms from the harms of a later term abortion. Um, 
and to promote the dignity of the unborn and preserve the dignity of the medical profession. And so the central question that the attorneys um, were arguing on behalf of Mississippi is whether the people through their lawmakers can establish restrictions on abortion, ones that protect the legitimate interests of the state. And so abortion proponents obviously are arguing, looking at Roe and saying, no, you're not allowed to do that. But the state of Mississippi uh, and numerous other states who support that same mindset have argued that they do have that ability. And obviously, if the Alito draft um, ends up being close to the final outcome, the core argument would be that no, Roe is not constitutional and it cannot, does not limit the will of the people. In your article that you wrote for the Christ and Culture blog, again, I encourage all of our listeners to go read it. Uh, Again, it's called How Christians Can Prepare for the U.S. Supreme Court's Monumental Abortion Ruling. You write about uh, what this could mean if this were to happen. And one of the things you note is that the pro-life fight would not be over then. You, You say that things would shift, the battleground would shift to state and local laws. What are some ways then that I mean, I'm thinking of everyday Christians who are listening to this, maybe on their way to work or maybe uh, while they're doing the dishes. Like, what are some ways that everyday Christians can influence their state and local laws to help advocate for life? Well, Nathaniel, you're right that this case doesn't abolish abortion. In a way, it is the end of the beginning. It's kind of a starting line for new and fresh advocacy, for renewed work. As I'm sure your listeners know, there are wide differences um, between various states and their point of view on this topic. You're going to get very different outcomes in California and New York than you would in Louisiana um, or other similarly situated states. And so I think it's helpful for your listeners to start out, start out in prayer, I think, for wisdom and understanding their role in advocacy. Um, I think it's also helpful, especially in bluer states, states that are more aggressively pro-abortion, for them to realize that a lot of their work is going to be in defense, in contacting their state uh, representatives or other advocacy organization or advocacy organizations, and, and really working to try to slow down bad legislation. I think that's a primary goal in states that are aggressively pro-abortion. But then there's a wide variety of other legislative projects, and there's going to be a differing opinion amongst pro-life advocates. So I would encourage a lot of grace and a willingness to listen and learn. Start by looking to see who has been advocating for these issues for years. Just have the humility to listen and learn and see what's most prudent kind of start from there and then lean in and look to support the laws that do protect unborn life. They may be incremental. They may not be as fast or as broad as any of us would really desire. But I think patience in in changing hearts and minds uh, while pursuing a change in the law. And it's just, it's helpful to know that several pro-life advocacy groups, ones like Alliance Defending Freedom and Americans United for Life, amongst others, do have kind of a list of state laws that they are supporting. So it's helpful maybe to look at 
what I wrote and kind of click on the links there. There is more information if you want to go deeper. One thing you mentioned in that response, I think is really helpful is, is the idea of winning people's hearts and minds uh, and not just going for the laws, but looking to persuade people. I think it's a really helpful way to think about this. What are some ways that you would suggest that we go about doing that, about persuading people and winning their hearts and minds on this issue? Well, I think the answer to that is probably as diverse or almost as diverse as the listeners you have, the listeners to this podcast. I think as believers, we're probably all called to pray. There is certainly a spiritual aspect to this advocacy, to this fight, but there are a host of other things. And I think it's going to look different depending on who you are and where you're placed. And I think some people probably are going to need to focus or practice more courage, and probably some are going to need to practice more empathy. And we don't really want to pit those against each other. We need truth and we need love. So once again, in in the article that I wrote, I did include a whole bunch of links. So if people are curious about nonprofit organizations or legal assistance or scientific arguments for the protection of human life, um, or if you're a student and you want to band with other fellow high schoolers or college students, there are specific affinity groups that exist to kind of organize specific kinds of people (laughs) um, to advocate in a way that's really most appropriate for their season of life, for their giftings, and really for their experiences as well. Also, I recently joined the board of a group called Reason for Life, and this organization exists primarily to educate church leaders and to encourage them to both understand and oppose abortion and provide really holistic and helpful alternatives. So I would be remiss to kind of miss the whole pregnancy care movement. As one jumps into advocacy, I think it's helpful to look and see people who have invested a great deal of time and energy in caring for moms and families who are expecting an unborn child. That's really, really helpful. One of my favorite parts of the article that you wrote is the idea that we need to empathize with, encourage, and empower those closest to the unborn child. I'm going to read a quote of something that you wrote for us. Um, Abortion advocates rely on the myth that women need abortion in order to operate as fully useful and equal members of society. Later, you write, though, abortion hurts women. But opposing such a corrupted view of femaleness doesn't make motherhood easy. And all the data or legal arguments in the world don't immediately alleviate the fear, anxiety, or pressure of pregnancy, expected or otherwise. Then you call on the church to to really come alongside uh, expectant mothers. Speak to us a little bit about that. Why is that so important? How can we do so well? Sure. Well, I wrote several of those sentences just from the gut. (laughs) I'm a new mom. I've got uh, two delightful children, uh, two and under. And I am so grateful for the gift uh, that they are in my life and my husband's life. But wow, I'd be lying if I said motherhood is easy. And so there's just this, this weight, kind of a burden. And it, it may look different for different women, but, but motherhood is often just a financial, an emotional, a spiritual, and a very physical investment. Um, and so, especially if someone is 
advocating for the unborn, but has never experienced or doesn't have empathy for that burden or, or the weightiness of that responsibility, I would just encourage them to, to pause and seek to understand before they advocate. And so the church has often done an amazing job of welcoming women who are facing a pregnancy that they don't really desire. But yeah, my, my, my call, my encouragement is to continue doing more of the same, to look to Christ and to mirror his kindness for those who, who are struggling through the very good gift of motherhood. Again, the article is called How Christians Can Prepare for the U.S. Supreme Court's Monumental Abortion Ruling. It's on our website, cfc.scbts.edu. It will also be in our show notes for today's episode. Jessica, thank you so, so much for joining us today. And thank you most of all for your work advocating for life. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Christ and Culture. Before we wrap up, one very simple, quick reminder. Do us a huge favor. Go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating, brief review. It'll take 30 seconds, but it'll be a, a big, big help to us in helping us spread the word about the Christ and Culture podcast. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.